One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. That all came through good. Yeah, for real. And now we know our numbers. Yeah. Our numbers well, then I'd numbers. say we're ready to rip open the roof on episode 133 of G.I. Joburg. <laughs> Extreme! <laughs> Extremely uh, arduous circumstances. My goodness, if you attach some kind of significance to the number 33... Well, I do believe this podcast has been jinxed because we've been flummoxed not once, not twice, but three times. Oh, goodness. My goodness. But we're here, and my name is Stephen, and I've got all my friends around me. Well, <laughs> digitally speaking. Yeah. Introduce yourselves, gentlemen. This is Paul, some assembly required in Joburg with Gamble in the bar. Uh, yeah, with Gamble saying hi. <laughs> There he is again. Hello, Gamble. Hello, Paul. Hello. <laughs> Long time no see, buddy. It's been a week. I know, right? You know, you just, you know, and it, and like, it was really sad because you were here, you were chilling, you were playing games, and I was like, okay, cool. And then you're like, you had to go, and I was like, okay, no problem. And I'm in the back of my head, I'm like, okay, sweet. I'm, I'll probably see him next weekend. It'll be cool. We can hang out. And I'm like, oh fuck, that's the last weekend. Shit, that's the last time I'm gonna see him now. <laughs> Surprise! Well, I miss yeah. you too, buddy. Uh, who else is uh, in our company? I believe Robert is here. He's he's finally back. Hey, Robert. How's Welcome it going? back, hey, Rob. Son. It's going good, Robert. It's going amazing. <laughs> he came back with a third person. He's alive. <laughs> and do we have a numerologist in our midst backing us up and reminding us that indeed the number 33 is to blame for all of this madness? Mm, you do. And I, you know what? Nobody has ever called me a numerologist before, but I'm not going to like it. Oh, okay. I'll take it. <laughs> Didn't you introduce um, yourself as a, well, you said you were into numerology. Well, I think, uh, if, if you're keeping track, I came to Joburg in 46 for the card art battle. And I think at that time, uh, you know, social media was all the rage. Maybe you've heard of it. Um, uh, I think I was I was kind of introducing my myself to the Joe world. I had found some some uh, intelligent conversation. And I guess that's where the journey begins. Um, as far as 33. Yeah. Yeah. I believe in designs. So 133 definitely has some significance on it for me. Um, should we uh, should we go right ahead, or is there any business that I've overlooked? Well, Cooch, I'm never going to entertain your conspiracy theory too much. I'd rather just let you have as much rope as you like, uh, which is why this episode is your playground. But I will mm. say this much. Uh, I recently passed through another year of life, uh, having celebrated my 34th birthday. And I've got to say, my 33rd year on this planet has been the one to beat. I mean, both professionally, personally, uh, and romantically. <laughs> uh, without, without bogging you guys down in too much of the details, because this is all about toys, after all, not about us necessarily though you know maybe maybe you guys do want to hear a little bit of the goss um i proposed this year i did some incredible work with some great uh, creative people this year 
And I got to go on a toy pilgrimage with my closest allies to Magic America, all sponsored by the wonderful people out there who uh, listen to and watch our stuff. So, as I say, this 33rd year of my life is definitely the one to beat. And before the year is out, I will be a married man. That's pretty outrageous. Profound. <laughs> that's, en- that's enough for me. What did you want to get into, Cooch? Do you want to swing the mic to uh, the other gentleman, or uh, or is there some agenda that's pressing? Nothing's pressing more than the, the voices in the room. Uh, Paul, how does uh, the end of 2018 find you? Um, I have an extra <laughs> a Cobra bug in my life. Um, which just found its way to me serendipitously. With Jeez, an extra is that what I- you're calling her now? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, no, sorry. I mean, I just, you know, I just thought I'd, I'd just mention the most up-to-date new stuff. Don't, don't um, flip her onto her back. She'll never be able to write herself. <laughs> <laughs> Keep the bug anyway. on top. <laughs> Uh, anyway, it was, it was very interesting to be reunited with a South African bug, um, which was great. Um, it's kind of a weird feeling. I don't know. Just I'm excited about it. I mean, don't get me wrong. How does uh, the German just... feel about the South African? I don't know. You know, she's okay. You know, she's she's like, as long, you know, where are you going to put it? <laughs> I know. Exactly. Exactly. I come around uh, and and I get the couch these days because oh, Paul's got a lady friend. Yeah, I know, right? I mean, that's what girls always ask these days. Every time I buy a new toy, where are you gonna put it? <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah, I think I know, it's right? a common a common question uh, for any anyone trying to trying to spin the plates of hobby and relationship. Oh, I love it. I just I just love that phrase, though. I mean, I'm sure a lot of our listeners can relate, you know, because not everybody who listens to the show has a a wife or girlfriend or significant other or whatever that is or a large of plot of land <laughs> in yeah. which to place your toys. Of course. And, and that's always the first thing that the significant other will always sort of resort, resort to. That's like the way you're going to put it, you know. But what you know what happens when we go like when we go shopping with them, right? Uh, what like there's a double entendre there? Hmm, that was completely unintended. Anyway, um, it's like when we go out and they pick up shoes or something, and they're like, "What do you think of these shoes?" And you're like, "Okay, oh, you know they're pretty cool." And then you like sort of look at the price, and then you sort of have to look at things in perspective. You have to back off and go, "Well, she's going to spend that much money on shoes." And and it's the weirdest thing because my knee jerk reaction is like, wow, she's spending so much money on shoes. I could totally buy toys with that, you know. And and then she does buy the shoes. And I mean, I don't give her any. You're resistance. like, where are you gonna put it? Where are you gonna on put it? My feet. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so well, at least yeah. now you've got a pair of bugs, you know. Yeah, I've got two out of them. <laughs> Well, I'd like to try and repro the second one because it'll be great for us to use in videos, you know, where we have two bugs alongside each other. Um, oh, the, holy. Joe yeah. has three bugs to its name now. That's right. But I mean, That's it's not always talk, easy to get your bug up there. Anyway. Uh, oh, but I don't want to to crush our toy vistas. Ooh. Yeah, I don't want to over, overshadow my awesome Iron Grenadier uh, that came with it because now I have two Iron Grenadiers 
and that look they look so good with Destro. Like you have Destro from that set with the two Iron Grenadiers next to him. It is so badass. Anyway, it's just it's it's a great thing. It's like I don't need more Iron Grenadiers because I have two and it's awesome. Anyway, yes. Uh Kujo, you, you want to do Nicely done, brother. That leaves you, Robert. Yeah. Um, how are we doing, brother? Yeah, everything's good. Um, I, I took a little break from the old Joburg, and I've I've come back with 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 excitement in my heart. Renewed vigor. <laughs> <laughs> I am very vigorous right now. <laughs> vigor is a power word, I think. Vigor is a power word. What's also interesting, uh, or powerfully interesting, I thought, or at least I, I worked it out. The topic we'll be discussing tonight is actually a topic we visited before in episode twenty-four of GI Joburg. And that episode was released on August 16th in 2013. Now, if you do a little bit of jiggering with those numbers, 2013, oh, 20 plus 13 is 33. And episode mm-hmm. 24 plus August 16th, you add that up, that's 48. And 4 plus 8 is 12. And then 1 and 2 is 3. So that that specific episode actually essentially adds up to triple three. Uh, I find that quite fascinating. Another interesting thing, twenty-three-wise, yeah, well, no, not evil. It's it's at six 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 or nine nine nine. It's almost evil. It's, yeah, almost, it's almost monster. Evil. It's almost monster energy drink. Um, another interesting <laughs> thing <laughs> is that the last time we attempted this episode, and there was there was a power out um, on my end, we started at ten thirty-three, and tonight we 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 did it again. We started at ten thirty-three. <laughs> Central yeah. African time. Central African time. It would appear you have a disciple, sir. I have oh, been converted. Mm, but not uh, I. But wh- where am I going with this? What was episode twenty-four about? Um, Kujo. Uh, what, what does what? it all mean, Rob? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that handoff, brother. Um, I'll get to that in a second. I'm gonna start cold. With some hot words, maybe they'll make sense by the end of this conversation. The first one is from a U.S. president in my lifetime. Um, He was just in the news uh, a few days ago. Um, Back in 1992, he said this. If the American people ever find out what we've done, they'll chase us down in the streets and lynch us. Those are pretty dramatic words from... Press Corps elite, White House, Sarah McClendon. One more quote, one more quote. Uh, it just is incendiary, but, but maybe a little more palatable. And that's from uh, a disputed quote from the Neon Nettle, kind of a gossip site, from Missouri's own, or should I say Hollywood's, Brad Pitt. He said, you think Hollywood is about movies? That's a byproduct. It's about money. And more importantly, it's about power and control. What do these have to do with G.I. Joe? Welcome to 133. Since uh, Let's put 33 to bed early. What's my favorite 33? There's a lot of them out there. But the one that kind of hits is maybe uh, 33 degrees. I think Fahrenheit, I may have misspoken last time, that's, that's the temperature in which ice, an ice melts as well as your mind, according to some. So here we are. This is the definitive look at Cobra Law. Um, we, we all have taken hacks at the uh, G.I. Joe movie 1987. 
Just right up front. Uh, keep it specific, gentlemen, if you would. Uh, your thoughts on Cobra Law now and then? Uh, Stephen, what do you think? So I might have mentioned it before, but it's worth saying, you know, just to kind of, I suppose, ballpark my expectations of, of Cobra Law or G.I. Joe the movie. Uh, South Africa didn't get the animated series uh, very widespread. By that I mean... If you had a certain paid-for channel, you were exposed to G.I. Joe Sunbow cartoon. If you did not, your only way of experiencing animated G.I. Joe was to rent G.I. Joe the movie, which I, as a five-year-old, did repeatedly. I think I juggled that, the challenge of the GoBots, uh, Transformers the movie and Return of the Jedi. I just kind of like every week whenever we were at the video store, it was one of those four. Uh, to the point where they actually retired that VHS and I never got to see it until very much later when another copy sprang up in a local video store. So, yes, getting back on topic, Cobra Law was how the cartoon series was presented to me. And at that tender young age of five years old, the macabre elements of Cobra Law really were quite engaging and in ways that yeah. if, if I had been exposed to the more perhaps vanilla, you know, 23 minutes episode cartoon series, I would have perhaps been a bit more shocked or a bit more um, reticent about the introduction of Cobra Law. But as it stood as its own thing, with the incredible animation budget that the film attracted, it spoiled my tastes and also, you know, made me think, it expanded my vista of what I thought G.I. Joe was. So, like, at that early stage of my understanding with Joe, it was already about a snake race, you know, cult-like, grotesque, you know, into biomechanics and genetic manipulation those themes were like married to G.I. Joe at the outset. So I don't have the same knee-jerk reaction uh, colleagues of ours like HCC 788 have when it comes to the more sci-fi fantastical elements of G.I. Joe. For me, that was part and parcel. Uh, mm -hmm. And I acknowledge its role in the mythology as upping the ante. You, know? you can't make a feature film about this property with just green guys on the one side shooting at blue guys on the other side. We'd seen that before. We needed a new threat. We needed the stakes to be increased. How it was handled, you might get a bit more critical about. But Cobra Law as a concept, I think there's something of merit there. And I accept it. Paul, yeah? what say you of the aesthetic of Cobra Law? Did that work for you? Cobra, I love the aesthetic of Cobra Law, actually. Um, like, I watched that film, I think, for the first time I was 10 or 11, because I, I remember watching it with Dave, and I must have been about 10 or 11, that's when he was in South Africa. And I just remember really loving the aesthetic, like really digging the whole sort of alien-esque kind of appeal to it. Um, bearing in mind that by that point, I'd already seen such classic films as Critters, Critters 2, Gremlins 2, and uh, Aliens, I'd already watched by that point. Because when I was young, Alien was just boring. 
Um, but I really loved that that kind of aesthetic was there. So my brain had already sort of married that to it. And that's a no fault of mine because uh, the aesthetic in the film in the backgrounds is very Giga-esque. I mean, the opening scene has got a very Giga-esque styled airbrushed background for the interior of the Terradrome. It's just extremely Giga. Um, I like biomechanical sort of creatures and things like that. So I kind of enjoy Or I'm going to say biomechanical because that's kind of what I feel they are in a way like the way, you know, the fact that Nemesis and Force is like so super tough, it reads to me the same way that the Xenomorph skin does. Although the Xenomorphs look thin and slimy, they actually have like a metallic kind of skin, a biometal skin. So I kind of, I love that idea behind it. And I like that everything's kind of nasty. <laughs> um, and I dig Pythona. When I was younger, I thought Pythona was very uncomfortable, <laughs> actually. <laughs> Buddy, you touched on something that uh, I think we all feel, but um, HCC definitely put his finger on it <laughs> Ooh. Uh, in his review uh, of two weeks ago. And that's the fact that in line with the Giga aesthetic, there are a lot of dicks and pussies <laughs> in this animation. Yeah. yeah. There goes the rating system. Damn. <laughs> no, but like, um, but, but I can agree with that. Yeah. Um, but yes, if you want an appraisal, yes, I like the style. Yes, I think it works. I can't actually fault it because I have recently done an artwork based on Nemesis Enforcer, or recently I did an artwork of Nemesis Enforcer last year, and I didn't have to really go too far to make it like nasty and convincing. So yeah, I think it's a pretty good aesthetic actually. Robert, what say you? Well, uh, if you do go back and listen to episode twenty-four, you'll you'll hear that I I, I am the dissenting opinion. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I like sci science fiction. I love science fiction, and the idea of uh, bioorganic technology is fascinating. I mean, all the movies that that Paul mentioned, it, it's very cool. But I definitely do lean more on the side of like technology, you know, like our form of technology, you know, something extreme. So 2001. Yeah, 2001. Yeah, 2001 I would say that, like Blade Runner, that, that sort of that, you know, yeah. neo noir kind of like, there's the physicality to it. Like we created these things. I mean, you can probably yeah. like reincorporate that back into your body, like androids and stuff like that. Um, yes, yeah. But also, like, to me, I love all that but that's separate to my conception of what G.I. Joe is. I mean, I don't think I watched the film much when I was a kid, um, but it, it to me, it doesn't feel like G.I. Joe. It's the same like I didn't watch much of the cartoon when I was growing up either. I think I just had the comic books. So for me, G.I. Joe is very realistic. And when you come to this movie, it's very like, it's not G.I. Joe, but I can enjoy it for you know for other reasons like i can kind of divorce gi joe from it and go okay this is a very interesting concept of these serpent lords you know like having um being ousted by the the mammalian uh races you know after the ice age mm. and how mm, you know they start. had to you know they had to kind of like go off on their own but now here's their chance to come back and and reclaim what they feel is rightfully theirs if only they had just done that and give us, given us something to shoot at instead of impersonating presidents and the queen and stuff like that, you know? Well. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm referring to Stephen Icke's theory of the lizard people uh, that was made popular in his books, I think, like Children of the Matrix and things like that, of which I've only read one of because everybody kept throwing it at me to read, so I had to read it. 
All right. Well, David Icke, strangely not part of this conversation. So let me bring it back to Cobra Law. I think what we just got is the canvas of how Joe fans one through 10 feel. Um, People are all over the map. Uh, Is it really about snake people? Um, I think Cobra Law presented a world where everything alive or dead was life. Mm. Um, I think I'll expand upon that in a bit. But, uh, you know, if I'm going to hang my hat on an episode, and this is 133, if you're in Joburg on the regular, cheers, um, then you already know Cobra Law has been in focus since D.C. and before D.C. was Chattanooga. So I think you can follow that timeline, but it's de- it's definitely been something on my mind. Um, it is a serious conversation, uh, but it's also because of GI Joe very accessible. This is this is probably the way to handle it. Are you in mixed company? Nope. You got your kids around? No. Probably the way to do this is find that space where you can let your mind stretch out. Uh, you got a top shelf beverage you like. Maybe maybe you want to grind up some greenery. That's 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 definitely the place you want to be. Foil hat mode engaged. Maybe maybe, but but let's stay terrestrial for Cobra Law. You guys know me as Cujo or Curtis. Uh, Cujo is a uh, nickname. It's a detraction of my first and middle. So uh, not not off the rabies dog, but uh, you know I've been known. <laughs> um, oh, I thought it was an acronym for Cobra Unit Jiggling. Uncontrollably. <laughs> now it is. You start. Um, and that dog was possessed. I'm just putting that out there. Carry on. But my last name may explain, I don't know, the way I, the way I think. And that is Herod. You know, if, if you made it to Sunday school, you know who King Herod is. Um, I grew up in a couple t- kinds of religion. Uh, if you miss Sunday school... Uh, King Herod uh, murdered a bunch of babies because it was foretold that he was going to lose his power to an infant king. Every time I I was in church, whenever I was introduced to a room, the first reaction was disgust. At some point, you just stop trying to fit in. But to understand Cujo, I got to tell you the last paragraph in his file card. And... uh, Let's see, you you know the end of the file card is the personal part. And Cujo's file card just has a story about a dude. And this dude was all about the details, whether they were abstract or specific. But um, he spent a chapter in medicine and one in money. And he definitely had his eyes on media. One day he met a woman and it just clicked. You know, uh, they were good at what they did. They trended in the right circles. One night, they find themselves at a place to be. It's an opening. It's a night spot. Red, blue, purple, all the colors you want to see. Who's who of local politicians are popping off, hanging kudos on each other? Uh, the DJ's spinning. I mean, they got key lime pie in a shot glass just to kind of round it out. But uh, as he's looking around, he sees a mural that's heavy with symbolism and two words on it, brought and spiel. Uh, That's Latin. Anytime you see a dead language, probably should catch your attention. 
Those two words happen to be bread and circus. I took some digging, but the context behind them are from a Roman poet named Juvenal. And he said, give them bread and circus and they will never revolt. And since that night, he can't sleep. And that's it. So let us begin definitive Cobra Law. I think, really, the only thing I want to focus on in this movie, and we just said it, everybody's taken a hack at Cobra Law. You had probably angry video game nerd. Um, like you said, HCC did the review. I believe he had his hand on his wife's knee. That's that's a, definitely an HCC first. He did but, some uh, Gilbert and Sullivan in the last one. That was an HCC first, if I ever saw one. There you go. But... It's, it's about the web of remembrance. You know, sometimes the, the, the meat of a story is, is, is within a couple minutes. So, I mean, we may as well do some fact-checking, right? The reign of Cobra Law was 40,000 years spread over the whole Earth. Is that right, gentlemen? I believe so, if, if you remember that, that, that um, flashback sequence. Info dump. <laughs> yeah. Indeed. I can't speak to the 40,000 years, but the progress that was made, maybe. How would you know if somebody ruled the whole world? You'd have to look at the architecture. And you guys know I got an eye for that, but let's keep it simple. I think, Stephen, you're guilty of this one, brother. Brought up star forts back when he, when he was in Romania. Star forts are a particularly old architecture design. Where they're found, all over. But notable to you guys is one in Cape Town. I think it's called the Fort of Good Hope or something. Is that right? Castle. Castle of Cas Good Hope. Yeah, that's the one. It's uh, spitting distance from where I'm sitting right now, actually. Mm. Well, mm. Uh, I, I like to I like to canvas the map. Uh, another one, another person in our network happens to be from Norway, uh, Oslo, at 70 degrees north latitude. And that one's known as the Vod Verdonis Fortress. If I, if I butchered that, Merc, I'm sorry, brother. And uh, since since we're keeping this Joe-centric, there's a star fort in the G.I. Joe movie. It just happens to be under the Statue of Liberty. And that's called Fort Wood. Yeah, I would say that canvases the world pretty nicely. So maybe Cobra Law did rule the world. Let's see. The next thing we have to fact check about Cobra Law is that Globulus says it was destroyed by an ice age. Uh, we've all heard about ice ages uh, a long time ago, but that kind of got me looking and a, and a pattern appeared. No BS. The year 1811. You guys know much about that year? Not much. Stateside we had something called the New Madrid Earthquake. That earthquake happened to last for several months. It had over 2,000 aftershocks. Its range? Church bells were heard to be ringing from Montreal to New Orleans. I know you heard that word, burglar. Uh, at that time, it says that the sky was completely saturated with sulfurous vapor, causing total darkness. From a personal account, from <laughs> I must have thought it was the end times. Sorry. <laughs> mm, hold on, brother. 
from an Arkansas professor named Valencius, Valencius, I'm going to butcher that, on a cold night in December 1811, people awoke to a huge roaring. They saw flashing lights in the sky, smelled something horrible, the horizon was darkened with burned flames, and forests were snapped at mid-tree because of the motion of the earth. Okay, that's that's pretty dramatic, but that's just one incident, and that's not an ice age. I'll grant you that. Another byproduct of this is that it appears that the earth was covered with a layer of mud. I'll revisit that. Uh, the next thing that happened in 1811 is the Great Comet, which was said to be seen for over 260 days that year. Some of the characteristics was low flying and a broad tail. Um, and, and right now you're saying, well, there aren't any comets in the G.I. Joe movie, Curtis. You're getting loose. I'll give you that. I'll give you that. But let's revisit another Hasbro property. And I don't talk Masters of the Universe that much. My little pun. In, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, in the pilot, the pilot's called the Cosmic Comet. By the way, Prince Adam sporting a Jesuit cross on his chest, fighting Skeletor, who rides on griffins. Griffins is the state animal for a nation that I'll get to in a minute. Cooch, I wouldn't uh, hang all of this on Hasbro, because, of course, He-Man is a Mattel property, but maybe they were, you know, connected lines between Hasbro, Mattel, Formation, and Sunbow. So please continue, but yeah, just don't don't be crucified by our listeners for. Well, I'm not taking names this time. This one's for the okay. world. In that in that pilot, He-Man throws his his enemies in mud on more than one occasion. Worth noting. That cad. Mm-hmm. Um. He's so non-violent. Damn it. What's the point of I'm... running around with an axe when you don't hack someone? I'm uh, I'm not done with uh, world catastrophes yet. The War of 1812 stateside between uh, Britain and U.S. It burned down cities everywhere. Let's 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 keep going through. I guess if you want to go to Europe, we have the Napoleonic Wars. Right, we've heard of them. Um, Napoleon marches across Europe, ends up in Moscow, burns everything down in between. <laughs> to the sound of the 1812 overture. <laughs> uh, by the way, Napoleon's last name is Bonaparte. That's a good solution. A solution for what, though? What would it explain? Uh, let me get back to the Ice Age that Globius spoke about. That came in 1815. Known as, uh, it began as the eruption of the Tambora, said to be ten times greater than Krakatoa. It blocked the sun for most of the world for three days. Uh, one eyewitness account described as three fire columns that reached the top of the sky and twisted aimlessly. It could be heard up to a thousand miles away. The ash cloud, which ended up being the size of the continental United States, started what they call 1816, the year without a summer. 
now we're getting somewhere. Globulus says that that began the age of the barbarians. Well, names have origins. Barbarians, Barbaria, a country in the old world that lied just south of the Himalayas, where Kovala is stationed. Okay, getting somewhere now. They found safety in an ice dome. You know, people don't talk domes that much. There are there are domes in pop culture, though. So I guess I'm asking, of, of domes in pop culture, which ones come to mind? What, what, what comes to mind for you, Rob? Well, probably the most prominent one I can think of right now um, is the one in the in the Phantom Menace, actually. You know, for the um, for the Republic and kind of like all the dealings that go down in there, if you think about like the, the kind of the double crossing and everything else. I mean, and it goes beyond the Phantom Menace as well. I mean, obviously in the second and the third form, a lot of things kind of revolve around that domed uh, building. I mean, a lot of what is, you know, set in motion, you know, Palpatine's plan, um, all happens inside that kind of this this big political um, show, you know, showground, this kind of like, yeah. Um <laughs> What is these films that what you are talking about? Oh, it, I do it, not it's, know these films. Well, it, it, it's Star Wars films that, that, that yeah. <laughs> oh, best left ignored. Oh, goodness. It remains to be seen whether or not the uh, sequel trilogy or the prequel trilogy wind up being the most maligned. Time will tell. Time, Time will judges tell. All. But, 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 but the, I mean, the one thing you've got to give the prequels, at least, sorry to go on a tangent, is at least that they link up into... You know what comes, what came before them, or at least you know that they, in a way, are setting up what comes after. While the sequel trilogy really has no connection to anything beyond, uh, you know, the slowly but surely murdering off each of you know lots of people's favorite childhood characters. But anyway, I, I'm that that's tangentially there. But anyway, so the dome in okay. Phantom Menace, that would be one. That's, that's an first. interesting one. What I did you... not consider that one. Nice. Yeah, yeah, dude. I mean, a lot of shit goes down there. I mean, the the entire galaxy changes because of what go, what what goes down there. And the, if you think about the failure of Yoda, even I mean, he goes there to try and face Palpatine one last time, um, and he fails. He just, you know, the the power of the dome is just it's it's too much for him. Palpatine had the high ground. Paul, what do you got? I've got two. Um, two jump to mind, and they're quite significant oh, in pop culture. I've two got domes. Two. I've got two domes. Ha <laughs> ha. You know, one for emergencies. Uh, one of them is from Logan's Run. Uh, if you're not familiar with Logan's Run, it's a uh, very cheers. old school sci-fi. It's it's kind of a I don't want to say sleeper hit because it's 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 kind of a flawed film. But the the premise of the story is that <clears throat> the last bit of humanity. Uh, lives in a dome or in these domes that have been set up around all over the world and turns out I think only one or two of them actually work and what happens is when you get to the age of 30 or possibly 33 Cooch I need to have a look at that for you (laughs) but uh, you ascend you you are ready to be ascended and a spoiler alert for any of those of those of you who have never seen I do want to see it I do want to see it I want to pull my earphones out Okay, pull your earphones out. That's why there's a spoiler alert. But basically, it's just a type of population control. So as soon as you ascend, you're actually murdered by robots who are just maintaining humanity. 
And in these domes, it's a, a pure utopia. You know, you get to live without any fears. There's no oppression. You know, uh, you have everything on tap, sex, booze, drugs, everything is like available. It's it's, it's a very much a product of the 60s and a uh, 60s style of um, sci-fi thinking. And then another prominent, prominent dome is the dome from Megazone 23, a very, very cool anime. It's a, it's a three-part OVA. Uh, in other words, there's three movies. And that is also, I don't want to spoil it too much, but humanity also lives in a dome, although it doesn't know that it's living in a dome. It actually lives in a bubble world. It's The whole world has been sort of fixed into what this computer, the Megazone 23, or uh, thinks that is the best place to live in. And the best version of humanity was apparently in 1992 or 93 or something like that. So it keeps the world in a 1990, perpetual 1992. And nobody's any the wiser, actually. Like everybody's none the wiser about it. You know, they all have memories of their past. And when they go into airplanes to go to other countries, all they do is they get gassed and then they get like dreams induced <laughs> into their memories and things like that. So those are two um, domes that I can think of in pop culture and in, in pop culture that I that I love, that I'm a fan of, especially Megazone 23. Boom. I didn't see the second one, but I will second uh, um, Logan's run. Probably one of the deepest symbolic movies we got. That's that's why nobody ever talks about it. But mm. Uh, by and the way, recommended order... to me by my buddy Scott. Shout out to you, Scott, if you're still listening to us. Uh, <laughs> it's been a while, buddy. Um, yeah, he's a fan of it, and I am rather disappointed that Paul could not find his copy. Oh, uh, I can find it for you. I just forgot to give it to you, man. I've got it on. It's in my DVD. <laughs> it's, it's in my in DVD, DVD player right now. As I recall, it was like. I need to leave. You're like, oh, let me just look for it. Uh, and I know what that means. <laughs> yeah. Stand well back. Here comes the fucking hurricane. I'll, I'll try and find it first, Stephen. <laughs> Where is it? it Where is it? Otherwise, I can just bring Where it when I come it? up to Cape Town. Whatever, you know. That's nice. Stephen, what do you Walk got? Out. Well, <laughs> reaching back into the sands of time, this time from episode, I, had, I think, 124. Uh, I had a lot of good things to say about Deep Six's dome. <laughs> <laughs> and that fine, <laughs> fine sand that I used to buff it. Mm, I was just grinding Deep Six's dome into that sand. And uh, <laughs> to quote you, Cooge, that sand is so fine, if it goes into your shorts, you say thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but no, that's, that would be silly. That would be a send-up. Uh, my favorite dome from pop culture, surprise, surprise, also comes from the works of science fiction. This time it's uh, the dome atop the NCC-1701, the bridge of the Starship Enterprise. Hmm. That would be my most favorite dome. Uh, it's a testimony to how how intriguing the scripts had to be of the time because they were very limited in their budget. Uh, they had a few practical sets, the bridge being the principal one. Uh, I can think of so many Star Trek episodes that played out primarily on the bridge, you know, just a captain and his crew trying to find their way out of an impossible situation, uh, life or death being decided in a very taut, almost maritime submarine warfare type of 
of, of, of fashion. So yeah, like yeah, to me, there's no more interesting uh, pop culture dome than that. That set. Make it so. You know. You Those know? were all esoteric grabs. Um, and and domes usually are. Uh, they're not well traveled in fiction, uh, probably for uh, a reason. But what are you um, talking about? The Starship Enterprise went to the Delta Quadrant. Okay, I'll, I'll eat those words temporarily. Let's talk about the Ice Dome, because you're hard pressed to find another one of those in fiction. But Cobra Law had one. Let's let's go back to Globulus talking about the rise of the barbarians. He says that eventually. They learned how to how to do things. They created uh, a culture that was uh, a sham or a uh, what was it a tragedy compared to Cobra Law. Is that right? Yes. An ah. abomination of our noble ways. I'm that kind of dinosaur. <laughs> but why is he saying that? It's actually the background that tells the story of this, uh, and that's a, a NASA space shuttle. You're not going to see NASA in GI Joe except there. I don't, I'm not going to go there except to say that uh, NASA is Hebrew for to deceive. Let's, let's, uh, I wanted to dust that because that's kind of maybe a callback to what my end point will be. Uh, I guess we have to answer the question, who is Cobra Law? I think Ooh. Cobra Law is, is a Tartar or Tartaria or Tartary, a country from the old world. Is that disputable? Or, or the old world being the world before 1811. One, one, one note that's easy to gloss over about Cobra Law is the opening scene. And that is the sky is golden. Is that relevant? It is in art history, and, and we can prove it. Well, there are um, those stories about how there used to be gold dust in the air and how it used to make us live longer or something like that. I mean, I remember reading something about that somewhere along the line. Well, I haven't I don't heard know, that. I mean, it's conspiracy stuff. It's not like stuff. It's huh? pseudoscience. That's actually more correct. It's pseudoscience, which means it's not really science. Oh, I, I don't deal in conspiracies, as you know. But yeah. um, <laughs> we actually visited the U.S. Capitol building, and Stephen was generous enough to catch an image of a certain painting of from the era of Cobra Law. And that is the apotheosis of Washington happens to be a mural that's at the top of the U.S. Capitol building dome. The sky in it is golden. If you if you pause it on that right before I flex an Andrew Jackson, hmm. you're going to see a watermark of the Mercator map uh, from 1601, I believe. That's the world before ours. That sky was golden, so was Cobra Laws. I think revisiting the ice ice dome conversation... Why is that relevant? I would argue that that you see one every day and the reflection of another most nights. But that's a conversation for another time. I think this conversation is about truth and history. Um, there's enough coincidences here. But, you know, maybe our, our true history was told in the cartoons or versions of it. You know, so if you ever got a sniff of the old world, you would think it was a parody, you know? Um, I'm, I'm not selling uh, doom and gloom. I think that what we should learn from Cobra Law is that a worldwide catastrophe could happen. 
You know, it's, it was 200 years ago, and nobody talks about it. So Cobra Law is the last ruling civilization. That's why Globulus is always looking down. He, was, he knows a world that died. That's why he's not surprised by anything or wants to give anybody the same level of respect that he has. How could these people know they're ants to him? Okay, uh, okay, so now I get where you're coming from. Okay, so basically you're saying like Globulus is the way he is and is as apathetic as he is because he has a goal. He believes in the world that's better than the one that's currently there and he doesn't really care for anything else but he's on civilization much the same way we do as a civilization. Well, I, I have am the... I just reading too far into it? No, we're not done reading. Um, I did have the pleasure of talking to Buzz Dixon, but for about 24 hours ago, I made my way to the SoCal Joe show. And it's, you know, it, maybe it's fortuitous that the last time we tried to have this conversation, everything froze up. Because a week ago, I hadn't talked to Buzz Dixon. Um, if that name's fuzzy to you, he's a driving creative force behind the movie. Uh, and by the way, Cobra Law. I did ask him a question that cleared a thing or two up for me. You'll, you'll hear him on the file cards, but what I'll allude to is I needed to know if the origins of Cobra Law were ambiguous because of time shortage or by design, and I got that answer. The, the only two questions left to answer, if Globulus is the enlightened society with an eye of illumination who rides around in an orb, but let's be candid, those are Earth's colors, just flop to swatches and, and change the shapes. Then who's Cobra? Well, that, that's the question. I mean, ruthless terrorists? Maybe. Um, but why are they flexing the U.S. colors? Okay, let's dust that off. Well, Cobra Commander's wearing light blue. Well, so does the U.N. I'm not accusing anybody. This isn't to light people's... This isn't, this isn't to go after people. This is observations. So that leaves who's left? G.I. Joe, who are we? Well, I'll, I'll let Hama let you know who that is. Hama, Hama says that G.I. Joe is a, is a fantasy about belonging, about people working together. Uh, another notable G.I. Joe scribe, uh, Ron Friedman, who found a lot of the cartoons and, some, and writing credits on the movie, to him, they're artists, you know, they're, uh, they're, they're artists, they're activists. I mean, if you recall, he had bats getting out of a school bus. The G.I. Joes were fighting him off, you know? So I guess that boils down to who is G.I. Joe now? I've manned the tweets in G.I. Joeberg for years now. I've seen that following go from 500 and to now over 1,000. If you're in G.I. Joe Twitter... Joe tweets bump harder than any other fandom. I mean, it's not even close. G.I. Joe is... That's a conversation I had with Buzz Dixon. I, I asked him, you know, is it possible that G.I. Joe was always about a pursuit of intelligence? And he couldn't disagree. That's really all, all roads lead to Cobra Law. And I think that's, that's what all this conversation was, was to say that, like, there, there are designs, you know, there, there is truth. And G.I. Joe carried it, you know, in the cartoons. I, I, you know, I just solved the world. Do you guys want to talk about some action figures, Stephen? Well, before, oh. I was, 
<laughs> Hold me back. <laughs> I I actually I I want to just throw in a quick little just while we on the the this whole theoretical discussion because I think you guys might get a, a good smile out of it. This is not to obviously not to, I don't I don't wish to derail you, Hooch. Uh, no, just, not at all, brother. It's just Organic. um. You know, when we tried to do this podcast last time, we had a bit of a, a crash with uh, electric. Oh, there's just a whole bunch of bad luck that happened. Hmm. Anyway, in the interim, I don't know why I was doing this, but I was searching uh, for something online, like barbarian reference German. or something. No, no, it wasn't anything like that. And I found <laughs> a um, and I found I, I I found that old Conan animated series. Kona. Anyway, it's a really cool show. I actually really enjoyed that show when I was younger. Um, and now Conan, the adventurer. Conan, warrior without fear. That's the one, right? (laughs) Um, and it's got like a very like Sunbow-esque style to it. And when Kuto is just talking about Cobra Law and then the barbarians and things, and I just had this like crazy idea. In my head, and and obviously, listeners and to you guys, don't try to dig in too deep. Just just put in the big pieces together. But what if Conan fought the original Cobra Law? Because you know he fought um, all these snake people and everything, you know, in the animated show. And then years later, you know, Cobra, uh, Cobra Law is sort of like returned in the movie. So you could actually essentially take a few cartoons and mangle them together. So you could take the Conan series. You could join it with G.I. Joe somewhere. Uh, obviously, we can add Transformers to the mix because it slots in very comfortably. We could most most likely add Mask um, into there as well. So then we've got this like, whole extended Cobra universe. And like Conan, it just, sorry, it's just, it just kind of made sense to me in my brain. You know, so maybe maybe Conan is the original GI Joe. You know, he's wow. the original. <laughs> so you've seen the connection because snakes make for great bad guys. Right. But I mean, I Did think you? that's been the case ever since the original Sin, my brother. Of course, yeah. So, uh, I, don't know. <laughs> I, I, I don't know if there's any merit in drawing that correlation, but no, I was just, uh, I was good just. Good job, fun. good job, Paulie. I was just trying to have some fun. I don't. I don't want to be too serious. I just want to just throw that in there so we could all have a giggle and go, "Oh, Paul's so stupid." And then we're gonna hear about Steven's toy something, something cool. <laughs> no, I. I mean, this conversation is about breaking people's worlds. It's 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 a, it's always about it's always about uh, what we have in common, and that's the toys. Um, I like having fun too. So yeah. We were blessed with a Cobra Law three pack. Let's let's be honest. The card art wasn't bad, but uh, the the original three. I'm not talking about Pythona, who did make uh, uh, who did the make FSS. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, eventually, FSS, but I mean, right? obviously, originally, like Hasbro, they did three figures. So we we got a three pack, which was Globulus, um, Nemesis Enforcer, and um, and and Red Dark, the other one. What? And the Royal Guards. Yes, the Royal Guards. <laughs> the yeah, Royal Guards. Yes, those guys. So yeah, we got a three pack with all with these three different characters, or at least you know representations of uh, of Cobra La, and it's kind of cool because the far cards kind of flesh them out a, a little bit more. Um, mm. What I, I think the most fascinating file card actually was um, Nemesis and Forces, where mm. 
I mean, I think Kuja did mention it earlier where everything to do with Cobra Law and their, their biomechanical technology is alive. Whether it's alive or it's dead, it's life. And I think nothing says that more than the Nemesis Enforcer, who apparently Globulus raised him, um, quoting from the file card, from a pile of dead things, and that where his soul should be, there is nothing but emptiness, end quote. Well, it, it's crazy. <laughs> I mean, people have souls. Well, apparently so, but I mean, it's just it's just interesting that from nothing, Globulus raised up this this um this unstoppable force, and Ooh. even That's even a strong with... compost. Yeah, start... <laughs> we have. Could we have a voice? Could we throw in a voice clip from Altered Beast right here? Rise from the grave. Carry on. We could probably. Who do needs that. a voice clip when we got you, Paul? <laughs> you did it for us, Paul. Thank you. And also, like how the Nemesis and Forces also um, given rise to many of the legends, because I mean, with with the the Empire of Cobra La having uh, been destroyed forty thousand years ago because of an ice age, like there's just these ideas of these these creatures and these things, these living. Um, this living technology that that kind of like just exists in people's you know psyches. That's like where the ideas of vampires and other things come from. Was Nemesis Enforcer this this guy who kind of mm. works for Globulus? Yeah, so I I, I don't know. I, I like that the far cards kind of flesh out a little bit more of the the the, the ideas behind Cobra Law. But what I'm wondering is, uh, which is your favorite figures from this from this from this three set, guys? Let's start with Steve because he I haven't heard his voice in a while. I'm worried about him. <laughs> I'm still here. I have only ever played with one of the Cobra Law three pack figures, so I'm gonna have to default to it. Uh, this three pack was not available here. The only reason I played with it, this figure at all was because I had uh, friends of my parents. They had three boys, three sons, and these boys had. Had some cool Joe stuff that I'd never been exposed to before, like the Stinger four-wheel drive and uh, this figure, <laughs> which I will name in a very convoluted way. He's a dead ringer for Dennis Hopper in Waterworld, <laughs> and that's points in his favor. He could have a, 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 a Dennis Hopper figure. Brilliant. Um, he has a unique construction, albeit a bit of a gimpy one. And in spite of everyone's belief that he pegged uh, in the movie, it seems he survived because you encounter him as a boss battle in G.I. Joe, the video game for the Nintendo Entertainment System. Uh, you have to, of course, tunnel your way up to the cavern that he's residing in. So maybe he got buried uh, for a couple of years. But it's none other than Globulus, dudes. Hmm. That's got to be my be-all and end-all. And if well, you're going to draw some... Very, very lightly, and then it was time to go home. I was like, what is mm. this? Is this a G.I. Joe? It's got this green thing where his legs <laughs> should be. Um, so this was crazy. I mean, like these guys also had Battle Beasts, which was another thing that we didn't really have much of here. So it was a big eye-opener to toys of that era that we did not get down here and had no experience of. 
And I was like, maybe this is from an alternate toy line. Oh, so you experienced the I, figure before you saw the movie. I didn't put two and two together. I was oh. too young to get that this was the toy uh, representation of Golobulus from the film. And can you blame me? He spends most of his time in that pod flying around. Ball. Yeah, so mm. the silhouette in your, your, yeah, your mental registry is like ball with body sticking out. Yeah, I can totally understand that. Yeah, well, I just didn't draw the dots back then, or at least I think I don't. I didn't draw the dots back then. Even my unassailable memory can be uh, a little bit spotty at that, uh, at the best of times. But um, yeah, it, it's a pity that that three pack did not include Pythona. She's definitely a, a strong contender. She had the best action sequences. Mm. Uh, to spring to mind, you know, her, her initial uh, infiltration of the Cobra Island Terradrome. And then the rescue of Serpentor. Um, she's like the, the principal baddie used for sneaking around and, you know, doing all the dirty work. Yeah, she's um, the infiltration specialist. Yeah. And because this was perhaps the most gripping, horrifying and macabre moment in the film, and one that stayed with me in my naive mind, you know, long after the 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 memories of the rest of this legendary VHS were sort of rinsed. The thing that always stayed with me was the exposure of Cobra Commander to the spores. Mm. Chris Chris Lotter's vocal performance is haunting. Chilling, yeah. Yeah, mm. it's um, I mean he, he 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 did that exceptionally well in whenever he was called upon to do it. But when it came down to the mutation, the horrifying, you know, mutation of Cobra Commander at that point, I think that's where it had the most weight. You know, Starscream shooting his own foot off uh, in the movie was kind of frivolous. Ha ha ha, he's just a giant robot, he'll have to get a replacement foot. But the finality of Cobra Commander, our principal baddie, meeting this horrifying fate. It's just, yeah, I think it still has affected me to this day. And as a result, part of me really wishes a Cobra Law 3-pack had included either a post-mutated once-a-man, which, granted, isn't actually such an exciting figure because it's kind of a disabled figure. You know, he's losing his mobility. But what would have been really cool is the initial mutation that Cobra Commander receives before becoming, you know, mirror face. Oh, like his original Peter Cobra Law self. Yeah, exactly. A, yeah. G, a, a brilliant scientific citizen of Cobra Law, sort of <laughs> built like a brick shit house too, you know, this gray-skinned <laughs> snake man who then like gets all these, you know, spider-like eyes on his face. Like, I mean, that is one hell of an action figure. He's looking fucking deadly and he's horrifyingly mutated mutated beyond his already alien appearance i think that would have been a fantastic figure granted it only occupied about five seconds of screen time but yeah on re-watching gi uh, joe the Mo cobra the movie <laughs> yeah if only on uh, re-watching gi joe the movie i was like mm, yeah man cover command is a stud <laughs> Yeah, that's why they had to have Conan fight him, because, you know. 
next. With star metal. <laughs> uh, uh, for me, I would like to have a little bit more exposure to the Cobra Law 3-pack. Uh, it is actually something I have requested from one of our sources uh, to send me. Well, I'm busy saving up funds to get it. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I would like to get the rest of the Renegades, and I'd like to get the rest of um, the... I'd like to get the whole of Cobra Law. And because that Royal Guard really speaks to me, but I actually... But credit has to go to Greg Crockett. That's right, you sexy man, you. He he sort of keyed me in on Nemesis Enforcer. It was... Nemesis Enforcer has always been, like, an interesting character to me. You know, he doesn't say much, and... Rob went and mentioned a whole bunch of stuff on his file card, and, and that's the kind of thing I dig about Nemesis Enforcer. There's a lot there that you can sort of expand upon. That It might just be like Poppycock, but you can expand on a lot of that. You can really go to town with, with him. He's a very inspirational design in a lot of ways. And um, he happens to be one of Greg Crockett's favorite figures. And um, as a thank you for the Terradrome, I, I did an artwork for, for Greg Crockett of Nemesis Enforcer, which came out pretty well, um, and he seemed to enjoy it quite a lot as, uh, as well. But in doing that, I've sort of fallen in love with the design of the Nemesis Enforcer. And that is probably most probably the figure from that box set which I want the most, or from that three-pack I want the most. With that floppy wings backpack? Uh, you know, that <laughs> is a bit of a, 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 a poopy situation, but for the most part, it's Nemesis Enforcer. I mean, I can have him running around ripping people's arms off and stuff. He's great. Yeah, that would actually be a pretty sweet accessory if you wanted to do like a convention exclusive. But like, but the thing is, I I still can't understand why 25th anniversary GI Joe never gave us a proper movie set. Like, I know we have a 25th anniversary Nemesis Enforcer, and I believe we have a Globulus. I need to check on that again. But that's that figurine that Stephen mentioned before. I mean, we've got a, a, a Snake Eyes, which is like bright orange and sort of blue to mimic his radioactive or, you know, when his ass is all radioactive in the, in the miniseries. Mm-hmm. Uh, why can't we just get a once-a-man Cobra Commander? That would be awesome. That would probably be one of the most unique Cobra Commander figures. It would stand out, and I think people would have wanted to – would have owned that. You know, you would have gotten guys that I think would have bought it and guys that would have totally hated it, and that's totally <laughs> okay. That's exactly the type of toy that it is. Because Radioactive Snake Eyes is exactly that kind of toy. And the only way you're going to get him is through that DVD pack. And the DVD pack, I think, has something in it that makes you want to to own it. There's something in that DVD pack that you specifically want. I think it's either – it's not the Weather Dominator. It's there. I think it is the Weather Dominator. Yeah, it's one of the elements, isn't it? going to be like the radioactive isotope, heavy water or something. I don't know, whatever. Yeah, one of the elements. It's like some piece of something, yeah, as well. So that's the reason you buy the set and you get that Snake Eyes as a booby prize. But – It'd be so much cooler to have once a man, Cobra Commander. Anyway. It'd be pretty difficult tooling to apply to any other figure, but yeah, no, I like where you're going with that one. At this point, I'd like to shout out SEO Toy Review, who, uh, as part of their 2018 Cobra Convergence 3 video, reviewed the classic Cobra Law 3 pack and did a bang up oh, job. Nice, so, shout out, dude. Thank you for that one, Kevin. And he was a lovely guy to have met at JoeCon. My only regrets when it comes to having met guys like Kev was uh, the fact that we didn't spend not nearly enough time together. 
But uh, it was one weekend, and boy, was it frantic. <laughs> well, I mean, we had the tag team. I mean, the one time uh, we got, to, uh, like, Rob and I got to meet Bobby Valla, who was really excited about meeting Steve, and Steve had hit the ceiling. That was, like, Steve had hit the ceiling the day before, so now he had hit, like, ceiling number three, mm -hmm. and I couldn't do anything to get him out of the house. He was like, yeah, I'll come join you later, and then he went into the eternal slumber. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think there were uh, some 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 uh, extenuating circumstances <laughs> as to why that, that's, that's why that ceiling hit me so, so uh, abruptly. Mm. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, exactly. Blueberry flavor. Uh, well, I, that that brings me to Robert. Uh, what 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 are you thinking for your definitive Cobra Law figure? Well, I gotta agree with Paul. I think of the three, the Nemesis Enforcer is the more, most interesting one. I mean, Globulus is cool because you know he's like a different kind of design, but like I I would just want to kind of take the bottom half of his body off and try and give him legs. <laughs> um, the Royal Guard is interesting as well. I mean, he's quite big and bulky. And the colors are kind of cool, and that helmet is pretty awesome. Um, but yeah, I think Nemesis Enforcer, um, especially because he's right up as the most evocative, um, kind of like the way they kind of paint him as like, you know, he's, he's uh, quote, he is the other presence in the pitch black room, end quote. Um, he just, they make him so sinister. Like, you, you just want to own him and imagine him, like, just uh, lurking at the bottom of your bed. <laughs> <laughs> the figure doesn't well, exactly right. deliver on those words, unfortunately. Yeah, um, that's true. It it, I, it is true though. Yeah, it's it's not scary. You have a globulus has a weird gun. You know, maybe people can find a use for that. I don't know. It doesn't seem to go with globulus, but <laughs> Nemesis Enforcer's elbow blades, those were just sad guys. I know, I know, child safety and all that BS. Um, but I think I think I'll go with the. Uh, Royal Guard. Uh, the colors complement well. He's mm. actually a pretty good design for, um, you know, a kind of a, a soldier. Um, I don't know exactly what he evokes, but it worked for me. Um, and it, it, it maybe if you guys have something to add about that, but I guess that maybe a quick to end on a quick fire. Uh, your favorite stormtrooper slash, uh, you know, infantry. In sci-fi, is there one that's caught you? Um, I think I'll start out with uh, Cobalas. Good, but I don't know. Tron, Tron's up there. You know the the old school. Um, hmm. There's there's one that I was thinking of. That, uh, it was an action figure actually that used to mix it up with my Joes. The Robotech uh, light blue Beetle Guard or whatever. Remember that thing? Had like a little plastic skirt on. Over the butt. Do you remember that? I know exactly what you're talking. You're talking about an Invid Warrior. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, that was actually a dope action figure. Damn, that's mm. lost the hands of time. from the Matchbox series of toys. The three and three quarter inch Robotech action figures. Yeah. I mean, I don't know Matchbox, but from that Bro. line, yeah. Uh, my, my knowledge of that line is not impressive at all. Wow, wow, wow. Somebody out there. What, what about what, what about you, Stephen? Do you have a favorite infantry person? Do you like the Royal Guard's pistol? 
I don't know. I just pl- kind of plain Jane doesn't have too much personality. What do you think? Doesn't have any Cobra Law personality. Something that I will shout out SEO Toy Review once again for that fantastic review of this is the fact that they said that, you know, take it or leave it, that pistol kind of is a little bit un-Cobra Law-esque. You could just as easily equip the Royal Guard with uh, Golobulus's gun. Mm. It certainly makes it a bit more of a fitting accessory than it would be with Globulus. I wish I had some hands-on time playing with these toys because then I'd be able to speak to whether or not the gun fits properly on a Royal Guard. Because isn't it meant to be underslung? It seems to look more logical yeah. underslung than, than overhand. It's like a wire. Wire. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and the, the as the theory goes, it, it most likely spits out that... Uh, organic plant life that smothers its opponents uh, just like the Cobra Law Air Force fire yeah. I mean um, uh, food oh, master, thank you Paul uh, <laughs> bastard launcher <laughs> yeah man and uh, another theory uh, the, the, the designs on the Cobra on the, ne- the Nemesis Enforcer's legs or thighs or replacement blades for his elbows. I don't know about that one. I, I, I'd like to think that it grows from Nemesis Enforcer. Yeah, yeah. It grows like. He does. He doesn't make use of external paraphernalia. He he, he himself is the weapon. Yeah. Mm. Which is why I, that um, other included backpack, the green thing, is not so much a backpack in that it is a trap for. Say Sergeant Slaughter, you throw that onto his back and curl the arms around his face. Mm. Nice. Scary. Bet you want that toy now, boys. <laughs> Paul will eventually get it. But um, what is a favorite <laughs> uh, stormtrooper of yours, Stephen, or shock trooper? Damn it, I wasn't able to avoid the question. Um, <laughs> oh, Bring it back. What is my, well, what is my favorite uh, unit of Cobra Command these days? Let me first remove G.I. Joe from the table. I've never been in favor with, and this is controversy here, watch out. I've never been in favor with the idea of a green shirt, and I've never been in favor with the idea of the Steel Brigade. Probably because I'm that bitter kid who never had a Steel Brigade figure and will most likely never want or have one in his life. Because for what it is and what prices it commands, it just is not worth it. And I, where I find myself on the reproductions debate, I'm not going to go after repro vintage toys. I like Black Major and Red Laser designs when they're far out and unmistakably reproductions. But when they are reproductions of the original, oh, oh dear. I'm going to weigh in and say I'm, I'm not in favor with that. So now that G.I. Joe's army builders are off the table, it's down to Vipers, Eels, or Blue Shirts. I just got me my first Cobra Trooper ever. My first original swivel arm blue shirt. Sexy. It's got something, guys. That card art. Hector Doritos' work on the card art is 
phenomenal without warping the figure of the character's anatomy. Hopefully you artistic minded fellas can back me up on this without warping the anatomy. He's able to show off every weapon that this character possesses mm-hmm. from the garrote on his right bicep to the grenade launcher slung over his right shoulder to the two sculpted grenades on his left bicep. I honestly thought that the one grenade was his thumb. But then on closer inspection, I was like, no, that isn't his thumb curled over around the back of the Dragunov rifle. That is actually the the toy's molded ammunition. Hmm. And I was like, this is mind-blowing. I love it. The intensity you get from the eyes is like, we are legion. If I don't get you, one of my brothers will watch out. Cobra is the future. Like, it's there's a lot you can read into that, that card art. And the figure... It's action figure history, you know. That mm-hmm. is Cobra. Back when Cobra was very much in the same vein as Hydra or some kind of Bondian villain, you know, James Bond villain with legions of troops in colorful uniforms, in secret lairs, in anonymous locations. That was the guy. And he could be anything. He could be a spy. He could be a demolitions expert. He could be a martial artist. He could, you know, the fact that he is he legion. He could have a scar. <laughs> he could have a scar and be very critical to the intelligence uh, efforts of both Cobra and G.I. Joe. Yeah, no, uh, the blue shirt was such an interesting vehicle for the enemy in those early days. And uh, as things branched out, as things got more colorful, I think we lost the essence of how important the basic enemy soldier can be and how much a character that individual can be in spite of being essentially just an army builder. So make mine blue. <laughs> make mine <Classic>. gray. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was thinking, I was thinking about, um, about this for a while and also kind of drawing it back to Kerber law and the idea of biomechanical technology. Um, and also Kuja mentions mud earlier as well. And the, the one that I've chosen, I mean, clay, clay is kind of a form of mud, isn't it? Um, so it very much is Rob. Yes. Yeah. We're deep now. We're going real deep now. Um, so what am I more interesting or at least ones I always felt like they were underused, um, was in a kids show from the 90s um of which i have a several of the toys not a lot actually actually i think i have one toy one chichis no um i have one toy that i'm um, kind of like um comes together in, into a bigger toy um i'm being very vague right now hopefully eventually someone will, will, will get it but i'm just oh, gonna I've say got it. It. i've got it you've got it yes i'm talking about the putty patrol or the putty <laughs> money morphin car rangers um they were apparently mindless um essentially mindless like pieces of clay that that, that uh, reader repulses <laughs> reader repulses main like monster maker finster he would essentially make them like like mash produce them as as like you know in each episode there was always the first wave of enemies that the the Power Rangers faced. 
Um, these evil little easy-bake oven of yeah, essentially. Madness. Um, yeah. And, I mean, apparently, yes, the language is indecipherable to humans. Um, but I mean, there is a certain level of of communication between them in the way that they kind of coordinate their fighting. Um, but I always felt they they were underused. I mean, like they're essentially, you know, the preform. I mean. The monsters that are sent after the Power Rangers by the end of the episode are essentially made in the exact same way. Yes. I mean, oh, I mean, there's nothing extra really that uh, if if you really pay attention to what Finster's doing, um, in making these things. Um, so it's like, why weren't they ever like like the main focus? I mean, I think I was reading uh, reading a little bit on on Wikipedia. I mean, there, there were like variations on them sometimes where like. The main monster would have his own like special putties or putty patrol that would go with him, but like I really felt like they they should have like beat them up or made them a lot more interesting. And and they really are quite creepy. I mean, the way that they kind of make those like those weird like I suppose turkey sounds. <laughs> Creature from the black lagoon sort of face. Yes, you know no. and those kind of like Down weird hands. Dolls. Yeah, and and their oh. hands were kind of like all like squishy. They didn't have like individual fingers. It was, it was more like I don't know. Like this and they're just like Hong Kong version of G.I. Joe's, you know, just you yeah, know. And their life like did not leave much to the imagination. <laughs> but that, that, that's oh, from the time. Um and something I didn't like from the from the movie is that they made them into like stone. Um which I mean uh-huh. there's a lot of things not to like about the the you know, the the remake. Um that's probably one of the things I'd like the least. <laughs> They had a bit more costume budget, so they had something a bit more flattering than Lycra, because, yeah, exactly how threatening are you when you can see your junk? Uh, That's that's the problem when you Americanized. Well, it it wasn't Americanized, though. I mean, that that was the original uh, Japanese designs. I mean, you know, the Super Super Sentai, I think it's called. No, Um, no, but I mean, I'm referring to the movie, like how the movie... Oh, the movie, they kind of That's what happens... Yeah, that's what happens when you Americanize something that is essentially very Japanese. Yeah, you know, yeah. You try yeah, to make sure. it West, and then you actually sort of lose sort of part of its appeal. But then again, I'm not a kid in America at the moment, so I don't know what appeals to them. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> no, no, for sure. You made a very interesting point about like, you know, why why not do away with the the sort of primary monster altogether and just have Rita make my putties grow. Exactly. Like, I you mean, could you could outnumber the army. Megazord like five to one easy. Absolutely. Yeah. Run at my sword now, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why they, you know, that's why she kept losing because she just wasn't using the resources at her disposal properly. Um, mm. But yeah, I always always found the the putties interesting and they're memorable, I think, as well. So. Well, I mean, I had completely forgotten about them until you raised it. So memorable to some, but yeah, you've definitely sent me down nostalgia lane, my brother. Ah, jeez. I always always thought one of the biggest mistakes they made with those figures is that they never released American versions of those toys, of the putties. You always got the Rangers, Mm. and you always got the the big bad guys, like Nasty Knights, etc. But you never got putties. You never just got, like, henchmen to beat up. Yeah. And which brings me back to, or which brings me to what Steven said, like the the blue shirt is cool, you know, like henchmen are awesome. You need henchmen, you know, you need, you know, people to help you do your nefarious and evil deeds. You need people to hand out flyers, damn it, mm. <laughs> you know, and they have to have a garage. Yeah. Um, 
But who's, who's, who would be your favorite henchman, Paul? Mine, dude, it's a kind of an odd one. I want to avoid G.I. Joe just because that would be a little bit on the nose. But they're called the Dark Soldiers from the Masters of the Universe live-action movie. Love it or hate it, it has some incredible designs in it. Um, I love Franklin Geller's uh, uh, Skeletor, but I really love his Dark Army, his Dark Soldiers. They are a mix between Shredder, Stormtroopers, and Iron Grenadiers. And I still I still believe that there's some kind of inspiration. Either the Iron Grenadiers inspired these guys, or these guys inspired the Iron Grenadiers. Or, you know, um, Lando Calrissian's, uh, you know, disguise inspired both of them somehow. But I love the look of these guys. They're just plain black, but they've got these badass helmets. And they're super creepy, man. And uh, they're just ominous and they're just badass. They say nothing. They're just tools of death. And they, they represent Skeletor very well. I think the movie, this movie had so many cool things going for it and uh, and has just as many not-so-cool things going for it that marred it. But yeah, I love these guys as henchmen. You know, they are so kind of mysterious. They're not necessarily memorable, but whenever you show them to people, they're like, oh, okay, I get it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? they are very yeah. cool looking. Yeah, and, and I dig them, you know, and it's, it's a good design. I mean, it's black on black on black, but it just works. The silhouetting works. Um, <clears throat> there was something one of you guys mentioned. Sorry, Steve, uh, you mentioned a garrote uh, sort of uh, just very briefly on the on the, the blue troopers. I was looking at my Storm Shadow Ninja Force figure the other day um, when I shot that review, and... I'd always thought, you know, and this is my, my naive childhood mind, I'd always thought that he was carrying a pair of nunchucks on his leg. But now that I give it some actual look, uh, like a proper look, I think Storm Shadow is carrying a garrote on his leg. It's <laughs> so, like, I don't think these are nunchuckers. I think it's a full-on garrote. Maybe, well, the handles are really quite generous if it's a garrote. Like a garrote yeah. is something so subtle you can hide it in your hair. True, true. So, and this, yeah, and I suppose class. it mm. could be. I suppose you know they've got a, an undersized butterfly knife here, which nobody can use except for a child on his other leg. So I suppose if you consider that from a scale perspective, they probably are nunchucks. Boring. Okay, Storm Shadow. Well, dude, <laughs> he might have a garrote that has you know a little ring that you can pull out from his wrist. You know, that's where yeah. you want your garage to extend from. You just zip it right out of your sleeve. Yeah, or the watch or something. I mean, I'm sure James Bond's had that before. Yeah, yeah true. Your keys are going to Use your imagination, Paul. Imagination. That concludes the mind-breaking that was definitive Cobra Law. I, I would just like our listeners, uh, and, and I think this is important to mention, I don't know, th at least this is how I feel but, about it, but we're not trying to convince you out there to like Cobra Law. So please don't misunderstand, or at least don't misunderstand me. I, I like Cobra Law a lot. I get that people don't, and that's totally cool. I don't want to force you to like it or try to convince you to like it, but I'm glad that you sat through our whole conversation about it, sort of. The BET is shining on us. <laughs> We're very so with some irony that, uh, you know, the one thing that Cobra Law needs to perfect their plan of destroying our 
abominable technology-based society is our latest breakthrough in technology. In technology, yeah. Anyways, yeah, the world. Well, I, I think it was it's it's been quite a fascinating um, conversation, uh, fascinating listen. I mean, just kind of like drawing parallels between what was created for this this um, this movie and like like you know what what could possibly have happened in in real history or what has happened in real history. Um, and it's definitely there for me with something to think about. I mean, I still don't like Cobra Law as a concept in GI Joe, um, but. I think it's more interesting than it was before, which I think oh, is okay. cool. That is cool. It's, it's hard to defend the movie as a whole, but I think with Cobra Law, I can tip my cap. <clears throat> Pardon me. Um, maybe this is, since it is around the holidays, we missed Thanksgiving, but let's be honest, we're worth the wait. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna send around the spotlight because it's the end of 2018 and it's been a damn good year as Stephen alluded. First of all, I talked to Larry Houston earlier this year. He was a he was a director on that flick. Deep thinker, uh, good dude. Like I said yesterday, Buzz Dixon, who uh, he's deep in the game, guys. Soulful eyes. Uh, his conversations aren't a joke. You can feel it. And uh, thank you, Buzz, for that conversation. And, you know, you it's its kind of a strange thing to do, but if I'm being honest, uh, I'm, I'm going to thank the truth community as well, or, or whatever you want to call people that are just peeling back layers right now. So, Brian, uh, codename Ballistic33, thank you, brother. Um, Mia, your work on SpaceX, uh, Revelatory, thank you. Um, Mud flutters, Moscow, India, Canada. Cheers, guys. Um, and people like wise up, but I have to end with with the the present company. I've been with you guys, and I'm gonna be with you as long as uh we can talk. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I think I'll start with I'll, I'll just start with the person who started this, Stephen. Brother, we're a classic pairing. You know, faith versus science, that kind of stuff. It's you're a brother. We've known each other in another life. You know we have. Thank you for being generous, for letting me walk out on a lot of branches. Uh, Paul, we're not done yet. We're making one of the most <laughs> dangerous comics ever created. I believe that. Dun, dun, dun. Robert, dude, I miss you when you're gone, dude. Your voice cools mine down. <laughs> I don't know if you knew that, but uh, I, I I know I know that you I know that you work through things. Don't ever forget that you shared a three-way hug on a Korean battlefield. <laughs> 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 Take that one to the next world. Um, and just thank you to the Joe community for letting an odd an oddball uh, interview you uh, and hopefully continue to interview you. Like I said, I, I just did SoCal Joe Show. There's two file chords forthcoming. Uh, you know those hit. But, uh, yeah, uh, it's the holidays. Hug somebody. You know how it goes. Uh, thank you, guys. You guys have something you want to send out a, a spotlight or thank somebody? I think I'm thankful, for, yeah, once again, for everyone here, everyone who listens. Um, you guys gave us a, an incredibly generous gift this year, the gift of, of America. 
and of meeting all of <laughs> you. <laughs> you you gave us your country and we said thank you very much um you you gave and us moon pies. and moon pies moon, moon, moon pies were very good and those those awesome soda machines where you, where you could any any soda you know you can wow. imagine could come out of it and, <laughs> and uh and chicken and food and and places and lights and 9 p.m. sundowns and and people and Kujo and Stephanie and yeah Bart uh, don't forget Bart that Bart, beautiful Stephanie, human being that statuesque GI Joe fan <laughs> I, I'm thankful and... for for everyone yeah yeah for everyone here for everyone there and for anyone I'm I, I will meet in the future hopefully hopefully we'll meet a bunch more people and re meet people um. Yeah, I think I'm I'm just generally thankful right now. <laughs> GIO Joe fans are everywhere. <laughs> Care bears. Oh, Whoa, Paul, are you drinking? Are you thankful for the for that drink you just had? <laughs> well not the one I just spilled. No, I'm kidding. I didn't spill any drink. I just moved a little bit and my headphone wire caught my Tommy Hill figure and hit my two bugger mar- uh, mug. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Anybody who's listening? Work out the visuals yourself. <laughs> Is there anything you're thankful for? Would you like to join in the, the Thanksgiving spirit? <laughs> ah, dude, I'm just grateful that I got to experience another country with, you know, three, well, two of my favorite people in the world and one of my new, you know, semi-favorite people. I'm kidding, Cooch. Um, <laughs> Don't tell us who's who. <laughs> yeah, no, guys, I'm I'm very happy to have had the experiences that we had managed to share this year. I, I think uh, Steve said it. this was uh, wow, it's a hell of a year. It's a bumper year uh, for us. Just never mind just G.I. Joburg, just as people, as friends, as whatever. Uh, you know, it was amazing. I mean, it's uh, aside from just the material things like the, uh, you know, a copious amount of toys and all that shit that sort of has come our way. It's just, it's great that we have this one year where we created a lot of memories and we're still about to create some new ones closer to the end of it i'm very happy for steve and kim getting together it's really cool to see that uh, story come together so i'm looking forward to being on that episode of uh of our lives yeah i'm looking I've... forward to putting money towards a new laptop instead of <laughs> wedding <laughs> stuff <laughs> oh man i have shot you know two-thirds of a really cool series but i have no way of editing it Mm. But I'm thankful for the stuff that I've got in the can so far because it's cool. <laughs> Thinking about a guy like Buzz Dixon makes me very, immediately very envious. Uh, he Not to steal the thunder from the, the, the file card, which is going to drop shortly, uh, courtesy of my man Cujo, but uh, Joe Headcast did a over an hour, I think it might even be two hours long, interview with Buzz Dixon where – The man literally just monologued. He monologued about a vast, far-ranging number of topics, one of which being the fact that legendary Dick Gautier, who voiced Serpentor, could not do that high-pitched ululation, and that's why we've got the cringy la 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 in his baritone. No failing on the voice actor. It's just like... As Buzz tells the story, it's like they were in the booth and that's what he could do. And 
uh, Buzz was like, well, let me come up with something else that works better. And maybe it was the director. I don't know. Maybe it was Hasbro. They, they were sitting in on it and they were like, no, nah, that's cool. We got it. Moving on. Hmm. <clears throat> Anyways, I got a bit off track, didn't I? Yes. You're, you're thankful yes. for oh. your footage and Buzz Dixon. Well, just the, the guy has had a storied career by accident. How wonderful. I mean, his his life story is like my life's philosophy. Right now I'm 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 living the dream, both professionally and in my hobby. I just need the hardware to back it up. <laughs> and G.I. Joe. Well don't worry, dude. You're you're back in Cape Town, the mother city, the cradle of life. Um I'm sure something can, can be done. I'm sure something's gonna happen. And it'll happen soon. Thank you, everyone, for Especially joining us. Especially after 10 o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for joining us for episode 133, where we explored Curvelar, we explored parallels, we explored theories, ideas, uh, toys, Buzz Dixon. We, we, we talked about where we're going to put that. And, yeah, please join us again for 134, where we will discuss more G.I. Joe stuff. And, yeah, to the future. Good night.